Welcome to the Curiosity Key podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and I'm a B2B business development strategist, LinkedIn trainer, and curious thinking advocate. So what is curious thinking? Well, I believe that when you approach your business and your career by being more curious about what's going on around you, you'll enjoy what you're doing more, engage more with others around you, learn more, and be able to do more. It's not just about asking more questions either. It's about asking the right questions that will unlock all of the potential opportunities around you. And this podcast aims to help you learn from other curious thinkers about how you can grow your business, get your idea off the ground, pioneer change, and more. This week's guest is Russell Stolters, a man with an incredibly interesting background and a man who I thought would be a perfect guest for this podcast as he's been on both sides of the marketing fence, especially when it comes to tech. In this episode, he shares his experience and tips on how to get your foot in the door and grab the attention of your ideal client using the power of stories. Following years of feeling frustrated as a buyer of high-value technology, Russ believed that he was missing out on the best products, best services, best suppliers, just because their approach to sales and marketing was way too confusing. Russ is a Navy pilot and engineer by background. He's worked for many years as a technology buyer in business development, and in recent years, he's pursued his curiosity and desire to help others by setting up Clarified Marketing a consulting company that helps tech companies clarify their message so they don't confuse their ideal customers and can therefore win more business. Clearly a subject I feel quite strongly about. Now there are so many tips and strategies that you can use from listening to this podcast that will help you simplify your messaging, win more business and grow your visibility in your industry. I hope you enjoy and gain a lot from this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Podcast, where I'm joined with Russ Stoltis. Welcome, Russ. Uh, really great to have you on this podcast. Great to be here, Charlie. Now, I'm really excited about this interview because you have an absolutely fascinating background in history, uh, especially in the tech world. And now you're uh, working in more of a marketing field, looking at storytelling, and you're a story brand certified guide. So I wanted to start this podcast episode really to understand a little bit more about how you've gone from so many years in tech to marketing, because a lot of the people I speak to who are in tech, especially from a sort of tech development engineering side of things, really hate marketing. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear your story. Sure. So um, it's a really interesting background. Um, a long time ago, um, I was uh, when I finished university, and um, my first degree was mechanical engineering, and um, joined the Navy. So I, I was in the Navy as a pilot, and I never wanted to fly for the airlines. It just never appealed to me. I did some flying like that, and honestly, it's like driving a bus. And so. Um, I decided to pivot and get into IT. And um, my last job in the Navy before I retired, I was a chief information officer for quite a large organization. And so that's how I really started off in IT. And gosh, that was over 25 years ago. And um, over the years, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been uh, as a buyer. So at, in that job, in that role, I was a buyer. So I was, I was meeting with people and buying technology solutions. And then when I left the Navy, I got involved in the private sector and I was selling. I was creating solutions and selling. I was the president of a software company from 2000 to 2002. And here I'm trying to sell solutions and market solutions. Didn't have the benefit of all the experience I have now. but um, And then later in my career, I joined BP in Houston, Texas. And I was there for almost nine years. And here again, I'm in, in the seat as a buyer where people in tech companies, IT and, and technology companies are coming to meet with me and trying to sell to me and market to me. And so through that experience, I've struggled, like a lot of your listeners have, with um, being able to market effectively and communicate with buyers. And I've also been on the other side of that. And <laughs> really um, been frustrated by uh, the marketing that I'm subjected to. And I use that term very, very intentionally. <laughs> um, so what made me pivot my business and really think about 
uh, getting involved in marketing and doing this full time was while I was at BP, I was asked uh, in, in 2010, we had a tragic accident in the Gulf of Mexico. And every day we reminded everybody in the team that 11 people died and it was really, really bad. And several months after that incident in April of 2010, I was asked by the company to stand up a data management program for all the data that we were collecting and continued to collect for several years. And it was one of the biggest data management challenges anybody's ever faced in the world. And I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. I was building a team. And so often, technology companies would come to me and try to communicate or market to me how they could help, and they just confused me. I was really busy. We were pulling 12 to 16-hour days every day, seven days a week, and I would just say, I don't have time. I'm, I, you know, I don't understand how they can help me. And I'm, I'm convinced what, what made me think about pivoting my business is I'm convinced one of those companies had a really super solution, something that would have really, really helped me. And because they couldn't communicate clearly and help me understand how they could help me, they kept me from getting that solution. And in my mind, that's a crime that there are so many great technology solutions out there that are just not getting into the hands of the people who really need them. And I, I couldn't agree more with that statement because I see so often um, technology companies that turn around to me and say, uh, I don't have the budget to market effectively. I, uh, I don't have the time to put myself out there. I don't have the time to market. I don't have the time to go to these events and trade shows. And they're so consumed with the research and development of the products and services that they're offering or too consumed with the you know, sort of actually serving the clients, that marketing is never a big priority, which is why, um, or one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on this podcast, right. because you've been on both sides of the table. Um, and these companies that were trying to sell to you when you were at BP, were they, um, like, what type of people were their sales force? Their sales force, were, it, it depended. Um, sometimes they were just typical salespeople. Sometimes they were executives, you know, pretty senior executives with the companies that, um, because I was very senior with the company, you know, they would, they would bring in the big guns. And the biggest problem is they could not communicate how they could solve a problem. Newsflash, big newsflash, people do not buy technology because, of, because the technology is cool. Rarely did they do that, especially when you're talking about, you know, folks that are in roles like I have where, you know, you've got this fiduciary responsibility to use the company's money effectively and efficiently. We don't buy for technology. We don't buy for technology's sakes. We're buying a solution or technology to solve a problem. So if you can't come in and say, I think you have this problem and I go, Absolutely, I do have that problem. And then you start telling me, I can help solve that problem and here's how. I'm going to listen to you. But if you start talking to me about, oh, we have this great mobile technology and you can connect everything, you know, and just you've heard it, uh, my ears closed. I'm not proud of this. I got up and walked out of two meetings. I was, I was so busy and my time was so valuable when we were in the midst of this crisis. I had people that wanted to meet and I would refuse. And my team would say, no, no, no. One of my team members would insist we have to meet with him. And I'd say, okay, finally, I'd say, okay, set up the meeting. And I walked out of two meetings because they just sat there and talked about their technology for 15 minutes and never got to how they're going to help solve a problem or even try to understand the biggest problem that we had. I got up and walked out. Now, I'm not proud of that, but it was, I was so busy, I had to go do something else. Yeah. So after I retired from BP, um, I had an opportunity to leave the company after we settled with the federal government. And I wanted to do something different. And I started doing typical IT consulting. And I was really frustrated because I still saw the same problems when I was working with other partners, helping them implement solutions. They were still confusing their customers. And um, I started reflecting on my experience. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be a better way. And, um, and that's why I did it. 
And one of the tools, you mentioned it, one of the tools that I use that really helped me make that decision to take the leap and, and focus on, on the marketing side of things was uh, story brand and using story as a way to connect with the buyer. And it, it, it works. And it's so effective as well. Uh, you know, I sort of mentioned this in the intro for this podcast, which is um, how I met Russ in the first place, because I've, I've done the story brand online course uh, myself because I was very much interested in how I can apply that to my business, how it can help me um, with my own consulting and my own training. And, um, you know, if, even if you've never heard of story brand before, check out the book by Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand, read the book. I read it again, <laughs> maybe read it again. Um, it's one of those books that becomes a great reference book, you know, as opposed to just a one and done. I mean, it's something that even in my role doing this every day, I've reread it probably five or six times. Yeah. And they, so they've got the, the framework, which is they've got the book. And then if you want to learn more, you can join the online course. And if you want to take the trip out to, is it um, in Nashville? Nashville, Nashville there you go. If you want to tra- take the trip out there, you can do the in-person course. Um, or in Russ's case, you can become a certified guide, which is how I, I met Russ and why I wanted to bring him onto this podcast, because I feel like a lot of technology companies shy away from the benefits of storytelling, because I think there's a big perception that it's a bit too fluffy. It's a bit too la-di-da, and it, um, it dumbs down the product. So I'm quite keen to get your understanding of this, because have you heard this when talking to clients before? Um, especially clients that want to lead with very kind of feature-driven marketing, very, you know, with the technical data sheets, with, you know, talking about the technology. Well, what's interesting is uh, one of the things I ask them, even when they're just inquiring about potentially working with me, is I try to see, I ask them this question, what is the big problem you solve? And most can't answer that question or they stumble around it. and. that's something that you really need to be able to say. Um, what's interesting, is there's a big shift going on in the marketplace. You've probably seen this uh, with the people that you're talking to. A lot of the decisions are happening on the business side. And so the IT buyers, so I was IT. I, I was a, um, you know, I, I was a director at BP and earlier in my career, CIO. And so I was out there looking for solutions. That's all shifting. A lot of times it's coming through the business. So you're having somebody in finance or you know, in operations who is actually the decision maker. And even if somebody from the IT group brings in a solution, if that company, that solution provider, that product maker that has that technology solution can't describe it in a way that that business person understands the big problem it solves and what their life is going to look like after they use that product or service. I don't care how great the CIO is. A lot of times they're the ones holding the money and they're going to say, no, we're not going to do that. Go, go find somebody else. And so that's one of the questions I ask right away to see if they've even thought about that. What's the big problem you solve? Now, sometimes they do, but, um, one of the biggest challenges that I see, and this is this is true of, um, I, I go to conferences, I go to industry IT conferences, and I walk around, and I'm an insider, so I understand this stuff. And as I'm walking around, and I look at people's booths, uh, you know, their exhibit booths, <laughs> I have no idea what they do. <laughs> and then when I go ask them, and they start talking about features. Features have nothing to do with solving a problem. Mm-hmm. I get confused and I go, okay, thank you very much and walk away. And I walk away confused. And, you know, being clever or talking about, um, you know, all the features, bells and whistles, speeds. And, you know, we, in, <laughs> in the IT world, we hear people talking about speeds and feeds and things like that. That doesn't, that doesn't solve a problem. No, I mean, I was uh, I was in the laser scanning world for six years where everybody was talking about, you know, the number of points per second the scanner can scan at or the range and the distance. And, you know, the range and the distance were important, but sometimes you needed to understand a little bit more about the situation and the client, what the client wanted. And especially in that world, trade shows, 
really, really big bugbear of mine uh, because exa- exactly what you just said there, you go to a trade show as a, uh, as a buyer or you go to a trade show as a visitor instead of as an exhibitor. And yeah, it's just confusing marketing messages or it's very feature driven or worse still, there was one I went to a few months ago and all of the companies that were there are there every single year. And the messaging is exactly the same. Right. They don't differentiate themselves from one another. They're all essentially marketing the fact that they're selling the same things. And my experience of that is that they're marketing to a predominantly introverted marketplace. And unless you actually go and speak to somebody and find out what it is that they're actually doing, exactly what you said, what problems they are solving and for who, um, you, you have no idea. Well, what's interesting, you bring up a really good point. Um, I, I, As a buyer, I used to go to conferences because it's a very, very efficient way for me to get the lay of the land, talk to a lot of different solutions providers and kind of understand what's out there in a very short period of time. So if I go to a two-day conference, even though I'm taking two days and sometimes traveling and, and I'm wearing my buyer hat now... Um, that can be much more efficient than, you know, a half a dozen meetings in my office. And a lot of times they'll have somebody from the product group or whatever, you know, depending on the company. But if I'm walking around and it's totally confusing, you're, you're preventing me from stopping by to talk to you. And you might have that, like I said, that silver bullet solution for me. And so it's really, really frustrating. The other thing is these guys and gals are spending gads of money, you know, sometimes it's 10, 20, $30,000 uh, or pounds with uh, marketing dollars, uh, travel, plus the booth space, plus the booth, you know, setting it up, shipping and all of these things. And, you know, in marketing, if you're clever, you lose. I'll repeat that. In marketing, if you're clever, you lose. Everybody tries to be clever. Don't do it. Just say it plain. I I walked by, I was at a conference last year. I went by a booth and it said, power to your work day. I don't know what that means. Am I going to stop? No. Another booth I walked by was a consulting company and it said, connected thinking. That's all it said. Now, why would I stop and talk to those people? Connected thinking, that doesn't mean anything. It's the extreme solution because I think, uh, especially when I first started out in my career, it was very much you go to an event and the uh, the graphics and the booths were just stuffed with uh, technical data sheets, technical information, features, right. images. And it was like, how can we cram as much information as possible <laughs> into as small a space as possible? And then it seemed to move because everybody was talking around being as simple as possible, communicating clearly and um, being able to grab the attention of your audience. But instead of being simple, it went to being cute and clever. And then it went to, all right, we're, we're going to hope that our market gets our sense of humor. And we're going to hope that people passing by get what we mean, which is never, never the case. And it's, it's so important to be as right. simple as possible and to really communicate, you know, for me as well, it's who you're targeting as well as the problems that you solve. Because especially in the industries that I've worked in, you know, looking at mining, surveying, you know, very much the geospatial and shipping, is that these products kind of solve very similar problems, but for different sections of the industry or different sections of the market. And as a as a marketer and as a salesperson, I used to kind of like have to field lots of inquiries because I wasn't clear as to who I was aiming these solutions right. at. Um, and especially when you're targeting multiple market verticals, which a lot of technology companies do, <laughs> um, it's yeah that messaging just gets lost and confused. Well, the other thing to, to consider that's important is. Your, your solution, the product you have or whatever, is not going to solve everybody's problem. So being, by being crystal clear about the big problem you solve, you're eliminating the people that don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people think that's bad. That's actually good. You don't want to waste time talking to people or waste their time. right? They might know somebody that has that problem, which would be great, 
but they have to understand it. So if you, so for instance, one of my clients, um, they're a, a workflow software company. So they automate business processes using software. And their website used to say, their tagline next to their logo was built for business. Don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So we came up with a heading for their website that says, uh, E5 workflow helps clients manage high volume workloads. Okay. If I don't have a high volume workload, great. I keep walking by. But if I do, hmm, what does that really mean? And how do you do that? And now you can have some other messaging there on the booth or on the website there. And there is to kind of answer the question of, okay, the big problem you solve. And that's important. When somebody lands on a website, you have about between three to five seconds to capture their attention. We live in such a distracted world today. You know, everybody's looking at their phone. You've got X messages. You've got um, social notifications, all these things, emails popping in. So if you happen to see something like maybe a uh, a little ad about uh, your podcast, Charlie, and I click on it and I go there to your website. I happen to go to your website. If I don't know the big problem you solve, what my life looks like after I use your product or service, and then how do I buy it? If I don't know that within the first three to five seconds, a little voice in my head says, I'll look at it later, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm confused and I don't want to spend the time to do it now. Look at it later never happened. And that used to happen to me. My guys would come up with, somebody would contact them when I was at BP and they'd say, hey, we ought to talk to this company. Send me the info. They'd send me the link. I'd look at it. And my little voice in my head would say, I'm really busy. I'll look at this later. And later never happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be really super simple. Um, another, another client of mine is a consulting firm that helps um, education uh, institutions like universities and colleges and healthcare implement payment solutions. So if you think about a university, they have to receive payments all over all the different buildings at the cafeteria, the bookstore, tuition payments online, in person, you know, receiving money for all of the education costs. And their, uh, their, tag, their headline on their website, so when you went to their website above the fold, it said, the future of payments is here. I don't know. I don't know what that means. We changed it to um, your payments, secure, efficient, cost-effective. It's, it's much, much simpler. Well, and a lot of people, especially I was guilty of this until I, you know, until I saw the light, until I learned better. Like I said, I, I think we talked earlier, I would have loved to know what I know now and what I've learned through StoryBrand and, and um, you know, with some of the client work that I've done back when I was running that software company. Um, I would have loved to have known that. But, um, yeah, it's just that simple. And we, t we tend to be clever. The other big problem that most of us in tech have is something called the curse of knowledge. Oh, yes. You beat me to my next question. <laughs> <laughs> the curse of knowledge. Oh, my days. I, um, I ran a training workshop the other day and like talk about the acronyms that were floating around. One of them had three different meanings, even within the same industry. Wow. So I was like, well, this should never appear in your marketing. Then. <laughs> <clears throat> no, that's that's funny. Well, and and with the curse of knowledge. One of the easiest ways to think of this is we don't remember what it was like to be naive. So when we first got into the industry or if we're creating a new product, brand new, um, you know, let's say it's brand new software. Think about where we were before we even started. We forgot what it was like to be there. And now we've got this great software. We've been working on it for a year. We understand it. We know the ins and outs. We know all the details. We know how to configure it and everything like that. And we forgot what it was like to be naive. And now we're trying to talk to people about buying it, using it to solve a problem. And they're where we were a year ago. And we forget about that. Mm -hmm. And it's really tense. I really see this more um, more often with tech. It seems to be because we have our own language. We tend to have a um, you know, and we talk in code. Not, not only 
computer code, but we do talk in code with acronyms and things and, and um, things like this. And we use terms like agile and scrum and a customer doesn't care how you make your software. They really don't. No. Um, so uh, the curse of knowledge was actually uh, coined. The term was coined by a guy named Leela Fever and in his book, uh, the Art of Expl- Explanation. And I highly recommend that book to anybody in technology. I, say, I don't and, even think I've come across that book before, so I'm going to add that one to the list. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, it's, uh, it's called The Art of Explanation, Making Your Ideas, Products, and Services Easier to Understand. And Lee talks about the curse of knowledge. So I've got this software product. I got my team. We're all talking to each other at a level 10 right in complexity and we dumb it down and this is this goes back to your com- your comment about you know the booth and it's got all these features and everything so we we create that and that's at a level 8 right so we've dumbed it down and we've added more information to make it at a level 8 mm-hmm. and now our buyers are buying at a level 3 they can't, they can't understand that so when they look at it their eyes glass over you know <laughs> One of my friends says it's like they're, you know, when you start talking technology, the business people, the garage doors come down, <laughs> you know, their eyes <laughs> yeah. and they're not listening. So, um, so what we have to do is we have to learn how to become naive again. And then when we create things, messages or our one liner, you know, our, our one liner or also known as an elevator pitch that says, here's the big problem we solve. Here's the solution we have, and this is the result our customers get. We have to test that. Go talk to your 12-year-old or your your spouse who's not in the industry and tell them that and say, now, what do you think? Do you understand it? And if they say no, go back and do some more editing. Because you've got to remember, this is the first time a particular buyer, even somebody in IT like me, is coming across that. Now, I might be interested in that. It's like, oh, you solved that problem? That's interesting. Now I might ask questions. If I'm a tech person, I might ask questions about the technology. If I'm a business person, I might ask more questions about, um, you know, what are some of the results your customers have or things like that. But um, anyway, that's a great resource. Another book I highly recommend that's related to that um, is a book by Chip and Dan Heath called Made to Stick. Why some ideas survive and others die. And they actually talk about um, the curse of knowledge in their book. It's so, so important. And that's another reason why I love trade shows uh, and conferences and events, because if you work in sales and marketing or you're responsible for the messaging and the communication of what it is that you're doing, then for me personally, there is nothing more valuable than actually going out and talking to those customers understand what language that they talk about their problem in because and again back onto the technology companies targeting multiple market verticals you know one industry or sector may talk about that problem in a completely different language to another industry or another sector and if the more you can understand the language in which your customers speak and that the way that they communicate their problems their goals their values you know and the challenges that they face the, the better you can communicate that as well. And yeah, like you said, from a buyer's point of view, you can get a lot done in a short period of time. But right. from a marketing and sales point of view, it's exactly the same. Um, but it just means that you've got to kind of plan out your uh, trade show activity a little bit in advance to make sure that you are actually achieving all of your objectives. Um, that's an, it's another, probably another story for another day, which is um, I see so many companies go to trade shows and they're like, uh, yeah, we intended on doing that but we were just too busy (laughs) you know or we were hoping to book meetings with people but we were too busy and then when we got there the people we wanted to have meetings with had already you know filled their diaries um and for me I'm just like oh just do a bit of planning beforehand you know because then it'll just make your life so much easier well actually um uh partner of mine uh she and I are working on a solution for this and it'll be coming out later this summer, and it's called Exhibitor Booth Camp. I remember you saying, yes, something very yep. close and, to my heart. <laughs> and so um, not only is it about clarifying the messaging, but it is putting together the pre-show plan, the, the pre-conference plan, 
the plan during the conference, uh, the staffing plan, everything, and having a one-liner for the conference. Yes, mm-hmm. you have a one-liner for your company to talk about the big problem you solve, what their life looks like, you know, what their solution is and what their results are. Mm-hmm. But you may have one just tailored to the conference and then a post, you know, post-exhibition uh, uh, plan and follow-up. And so um, we've, we both uh, have been um, the victims of, uh, you know, these. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, she's got almost 20 years of putting on trade shows for Microsoft. And so we're going to take that experience and try to help folks um, attract their ideal customers and uh, and actually walk out of these shows with with um, you know with increased sales, which is what you should have. You shouldn't spend fifty thousand dollars and then you know get one sale out of it. That's that's just crazy. Yes, no, I agree, and I think as well probably get you both back on the podcast at some point because uh, it's something I talk a lot about with my clients. Um, you know, sort of pre-planning a trade show uh, and kind of debunking that myth that. Uh, the work that you do during the trade show is all right. Okay. That's the hard bit. You know, you go home, you pack up, you leave, and then it's like, oh, hard work over. It's like, no, no, the pre-planning and then the follow-up, that's the hard work. The actual being at the trade show and the event, that's the easy bit. That's the most enjoyable (laughs) bit. (laughs) You know, so if you don't believe that you're getting it all wrong. (laughs) Um, But I want to just kind of backtrack a little bit just to kind of, um, because I feel like we're in a unique position here because you, you've got experience on both sides of the fence here. So what advice would you give to our listeners that are selling technology? And what advice would you give them on how they can effectively start conversations with buyers by actually, you know, from, um, from nothing? So essentially not necessarily cold calling or cold emailing, but how... In your experience, in your opinion, what is the best way for them to get your attention as a buyer? Well, uh, one of the first things they need to do is um, they need to have a concise and effective, um, and StoryBrain calls it a one-liner, also known as the elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. And um, most people start off with talking about the technology. What do you do? Um, or if they meet someone at a conference or they meet someone in some sort of a networking event um, or, or um, meeting or, or whatever, they start off with talking about the solution, their, their, um, you know, their technology. Well, we created this technology. And really, you need a concise, effective one-liner. That's, and the, it's a simple formula. It starts with a problem. And you're talking about not your problem, but the customer's problem, your customer's problem, your solution for it, and then what the results are. And the reason we start with the problem is we're trying to open a story loop in the person we're talking in the mind of the person we're talking to. Um, our brains are hardwired to make sense of the world using story. If you think about it, we've only been around how many years since uh, the printing press came out? Over the millennia you start looking at all these years and how we've evolved story was used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years for transferring knowledge and information and then for this short period now we have text and printing and things like that so our brains are hardwired for story so we want to open a story loop by throwing this question out there or, or this problem out there and saying you know so mine is, you know, most companies struggle to tell their customers how they can help them. Now, if that's not your problem, great. But if that is your problem, what's going to happen? You're, you're going to perk up your ears. And then the next part, the solution is I use a story-based framework to help them clarify their marketing, attract their ideal customers, and grow their sales. And so the solution is I use a story-based frame, framework to clarify their marketing, and the results is attract their ideal customers and grow their sales. What, what I love about this approach, just to, to uh, interrupt a little bit, is that because uh, one of my biggest bugbears of people at conferences, trade shows, networking events is that they go straight in with, this is what I do. You know, this is my business. This is the technology. Um, this is my job title. Um, right. and unless 
that person is genuinely really interested and willing to listen to the whole story, they're they're going to be completely uninterested in what it is that you're saying. They're going to zone off or they're going to try and figure out a way of leaving that conversation or turning it around and talking about themselves. (laughs) Whereas if you use your approach and exactly what you're saying is even if you're talking to somebody that is not in the market for what it is that you have to offer, they're going to remember you a little bit more. Uh, Well, they're going to remember you more because more often than not, they will know somebody that has that problem. Right, exactly. And you've kind of piqued their curiosity because even if they don't have that problem, you're positioning it to them in a way that they'll be like, oh, right, I didn't know that that problem existed. Or uh, it's just an interesting conversation and you don't feel like being sold to. Um, So yeah, I I love that approach. And I I try to teach that as much as possible as well myself. (laughs) Well, and the other part of it that's really interesting, you brought up a great point, which is they may not have the problem which is great. So you're putting that problem out there for two reasons. One, you're trying to open a story loop because we want to invite them into the story so they get interested. Mm-hmm. And our brains, like I said, are hardwired to use story to make sense of things. And if a story loop is opened, we have to close it. You know, think about it. You watch a movie and early in the movie, there's some sort of crisis or something happens that opens a story loop. Somebody gets killed or, you know, in Star Wars, Luke's uh, uncle and aunt get killed. Now we need to know what happens. Um, so our brain is hardwired to say, okay, I got to close that story loop. So they're going to listen to the rest of it. The other part is, like you said, somebody else might have the problem. And the, the key is after you finish that, and it can be conversational, uh, you know, you don't, you, you memorize it, but then it just becomes conversational depending on the scenario, where you are, what the situation is. But then shut up. Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. We hate silence. One of the biggest, most important things you can do is not say a word and wait for a second. Now, if they say, if you wait, it'll get uncomfortable. Guess what? They will talk first, right? So if they say, oh, that's interesting. How do you do that? Or tell me more. Ding, 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 ding. They have the problem. If they say, oh, okay, that's interesting. I I don't really have that problem or, you know, they want to change the subject. Great. Now you can ask them, well, what do you do? Or, you know, have a conversation about whatever you're there for. Um, But that is the easiest way to open it up. And too often a title is wrong. Um, I feel so strongly about this, that it is so powerful uh, that I've actually creating a, uh, created an online course, and it's very, very inexpensive. It takes you through why it's so important and how to create one, and then um, shows you. I actually do it live um, on the screen and show you how to how to create it, and then what to do after you've created it. And I've thrown in some other resources with that to help uh, help you become confident in using it. But that becomes so important. And you can create a one-liner for just about any scenario. So for instance, you could have a different one-liner just for your particular product. You have one for the company. So maybe you're solving, a, like you said, you, you sell to different industries, but in general, you're solving a common problem. So that's the common company uh, one-liner. And then you might have a one-liner for this industry one for this and because you're you're highlighting a specific problem they have and the result they get if they use your product Mm -hmm. and people either it's great if they accept it and they want to know more but it's also great if they reject it because all right you're not going to waste time talking to somebody and you're not going to waste their time if it's not their problem yeah and we've we've talked a lot about story from um, a, a marketing point of view. So if you're you're marketing to your customers, you're trying to expand your business, get more customers. But also a lot of businesses, especially in the technology sector, want to attract uh, investment as well. Right. So it's not right. just about um, attracting new clients. So you also right. want to grow your business. You want to attract investment. And you've got experience of using storytelling to position the investor as the hero in your story to be able to win more, uh, win more interest and then win more investment as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I have some experience with that. Um, back when I was the president of a software company, um, we had a software product that managed electronic records. And this was back in uh, when I was, the company had been around for a while, but I was the president from 2000 to 2002. 
Um, I actually, uh, we were doing a round of uh, private investment or um, um, closed investment. And uh, the dot-com bubble burst in the middle of it. But um, after four months, I was still able to close the $7.3 million um, private placement uh, investment. So I have a little bit of experience uh, meeting with VCs and uh, pitching to angel investors and even went to an angel investment conference. And that was pretty nerve wracking because each of us got 15 minutes in front of about 30 uh, investors in an audience. And you just walked up and that was they started the clock 15 minutes. So one of the things that's really interesting about the book you mentioned, and I highly recommend it as as a uh, anybody anybody in a business today should have building a story brand. It is a great resource. Um, one of the big paradigm shifts in building a story brand that Donald Miller talks about is too often we position ourselves as the hero as opposed to the guide, and our customer is the hero. We're the guide. We're coming alongside our customer and helping them win the day. And too often we talk about ourselves, we're positioning ourselves as the hero and our customer doesn't want to hear that. They wake up and, you know, Don talks about them waking up every morning, the hero in their own story. So what's interesting is when you're talking to investors, angel investors or VC groups or whoever, you have to tell two stories. And so take a look at story, the building a story brand, and you can look at the seven-part framework. There's going to be a framework that you would create for your customer. Your customer is the hero. They have a problem. You're going to help them solve that problem because you're the guide. You, you've solved this problem. You know how to do it. You're going to present them with a plan, and then they're going to get a result. That's the story you want to tell the investor. And then right after that, you want to tell them another story which is they're the hero and you're the guide and you're going to tell them how you're going to win, help them win the day if they make the investment in your company. So part of the, so the reason you have to tell both stories, very important, they have to see that you have a viable solution for your customer, your character that you're, you're serving and you know, what, what success is going to look like for them. They're also going to want to understand some other things about the company. You know, how are you going to scale those kinds of things? Do you have the infrastructure? And those are the things that you're going to include in your uh, seven-part brand script or your framework about the investor, right? And so that's it's really, really important because the plan that you present for the customer, so we recommend a three a three-step plan, you know, for so mine is schedule a call, we come up with a customized plan, and then you grow your business. Um, you know, that three-step plan for the customer might be buy the software, download and install and whatever. Um, but that three-step plan for that invest investor is going to be a different plan and the success for them is going to be different. And so using that yeah. same model, but telling two different stories, one that is the customer journey from where they are to where they want to get to using your product or service. And then there again, how you're going to help that investor win the day when they put their money down as an investment and then come out on the other side as a winner, you know, as a partner, and then also, you know, making money on their investment. Yeah. And that's such brilliant, brilliant advice to, uh, to have a different message for the different person that you're targeting. I think kind of like why I talk a lot about really understanding who it is you're targeting, because then you can get really uh, sort of deep into what their emotional motivations and drivers for wanting to solve that problem right. or wanting to get behind something. And, you know, a lot of people that um, I've interviewed on this podcast um, in the past and people that I'm speaking to at the moment is that you know they're either building a business trying to solve a problem to start a movement or make some significant change in this world and um especially if you're attracting investment for a product that contributes to significant change you want to tap into the emotional uh drivers especially for investors because right. if you can tell them you know if you can position them as being that hero that helps you start a movement or that hero that helps contribute to that movement your story is going to be so much more powerful and you're going to really reach the, the right, right people in the right way. 
Well, and one of the key parts of that seven-part framework is your the guide, right? So your your company, you're pitching to this investor. You're the guide. You're helping that investor avoid failure. And mm-hmm. part of that is talking about how 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 they avoid failure. Now they might be they might be really excited about the um, the movement you're trying to create, the change you're trying to create in the world. But if you don't talk to how you're going to help them avoid failure, then they're they're going to be reluctant to go ahead and make that investment, no matter mm-hmm. how uh, connected they are to the emotion that your customers may experience by that product or service. So that's why you need to have both of those, um, you know, that the story that resonates with your customer that you're delivering your product or solution to, uh, and then that story that that resonates with the investor, because. We need to make sure that they see what success is like, how you're going to help them avoid failure, and what your plan is to, you know, to get them to success. Um, and then, you know, like you said, they might be really, really interested in this particular movement, but if if that failure is not addressed, and I've seen this too often, um, you know, and I've uh, some of my friends are in the VC market, and they'll say, and all they did was talk about their product. We just didn't feel comfortable that, you know our investment was being protected and that's part of that story which is how do you help them win the day be curious about that you know i i keep you know that's that's kind of why i created this podcast and i talk a lot about curious thinking you know <laughs> be curious about the people you're talking to um but also then understand what you need to say to to maintain that curiosity as well um because you know you can be curious about something but like you said before, you might park it in the back of your mind and think, all right, I'm going to get to that at a later date where, yeah. you know, you're, you're peaking the wrong type of curiosity. You want to be able to peak the curiosity that says, no, you need to prioritize your time and learn more about this right now. Well, and that's a good point. Um, I like I like the fact that you brought up the curiosity aspect of it. That's the other thing. Ask them questions. You know, the folks that you decided not to invest with, what was some of the biggest reasons why? You know, try to if they'll share that information, you know, they can they can be nonspecific. But, um, you know, if you can dig into and that way your story, if you can dig into the reasons and get some general reasons on maybe what they see as folks that are not doing a good job um, telling that story that resonates with them, then you can make sure that your story that is addressing the uh, the needs of the investor you know, helping them win the day addresses any of those gaps that they might have seen from other folks. Absolutely. And one of the questions that I always love to ask people, because I think, I don't know, there just seems to be a big trend where everybody wants to know, okay, so what's important to you? Um, what are you looking for? And that those kind of like big open questions that, you know, you can get a lot of ideas as to what's important to that person. But instead of saying what's important to you, just say what's not important to you about this particular product or solution. Um, you know, what don't you care about? Uh, especially yeah. a lot of my experiences with smaller technology companies, so smaller businesses rather than huge organizations, um, is that, you know, when you're competing against massive organizations, you know, they've got the budget to throw loads of extra benefits and loads of extra bells and whistles behind something and it doesn't cost them that much money. Whereas you as a um, a seller, um, if you can understand what's not important to the customer, you can then reduce your margins by say, sorry, you can increase your margins by just not including the things that they don't care about. Right. And focusing on the things that they really do care exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's that age old problem. It's like, well, you know, you, you could technically have whatever it is that you want. It just depends on how much money you're willing to invest in it. Right. Um, right. But most sort of smaller technology companies can't afford to then do the development to give them what they wanted, even if the budget was right. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, um, but I, I love getting into all of that stuff. Anything that involves asking questions, I'm all over it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so based on your experience and working with lots of, of different companies of different sizes over the years and having transitioned from, you know, sort of engineering, tech, being a buyer, being a seller and now being in the marketing space, what advice would you give to somebody especially say like a CEO, a director, senior person within an organization that is disinterested in marketing or just comes with the question like, we don't have a marketing budget. Uh, We don't have time to do marketing. It's not a priority for us right now. What would you say to that person? 
Well, first I would say in general, um, if you think about most, un- unless it's, you know, unless it's a simple, and I don't mean simple to, to denigrate it, but, a, you know, unless it's a simple application that you're just selling and people download it and install it. But if you're talking about complex solutions, which a lot of the technology solutions tend to be more complex. Um, if you're talking about those, people buy from people, right? They don't buy from companies. And they also buy from people who can help solve problems. The technology just happens to be the way to get the problem solved. Um, so with those ground rules, if people are buying from people, Marketing is so important, vitally important, because uh, a friend of mine coined this this phrase, and I love it. It's a friend of mine named Mike Kim. Marketing is a marketing is isn't about closing the sale; it's about opening a relationship. So, if you think about it, unless you're selling something that's you know a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, but you're talking about large sales, larger sales, bigger solutions. People are going to buy from people who they know, like, and trust. And the only way they're going to know, like, and trust you is if you've begun to build a relationship and shown how you could be known, liked, and trust, trusted. And that's what marketing can do. You're telling that story, but that story is not your story. You're telling your customer's story. You're telling the story of how they go from where they are today and how you're going to help them transform and become what they want to become in the future. Um, so for instance, you know, in the case of the, the um, um, consulting company that I worked with that was helping with payment solutions, here we had a director of finance, a frustrated business leader, and they want to become, you know, this um, savvy, successful business leader who is saving the organization money. How do we help them do that? And, and part of that is telling the story and helping them go on this journey to get to the point where they're now ready to take action. And marketing is not just a brochure. It's not just a logo. People buy based on the words they read. And so if you're putting out confusing words that turn their brain off and confuse them, they're not going to buy. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, a lot of times I work with clients, we redo their homepage, um, but we're really not changing a whole lot other than changing the content. We're making the words communicate the story that is their customer story mm. and making it understandable. And just, just following on from that, because I realize that we're, we're, we're close to time here um, and we need to wrap it up soon. Otherwise, we can talk for, for hours about this subject. Um, one thing that I hear all the time, especially for smaller companies, which is, um, it, you know, our product will sell itself. It's so good. Our product will sell itself. It's just a case that we need to get it in front of the right people. Have you heard this yeah. before? Yeah, I've heard, yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> I thought you were saying no. I was like, oh, well, you've never heard that before. No, I've heard that before, but no, that's not true. Yeah, exactly. It's not It's not true. And you do still need to communicate clearly because there's, I think it's just so sad that you see, you see inferior solutions win just because they they do have a bigger marketing budget, but it's not just about the budget. It's about their messaging and their communication. It just means it's better than yours. Well, and, and the other thing is for, for a lot of your listeners who are in uh, various size companies, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others like Microsoft or Apple or whatever. They've moved on from traditional marketing to branding. And a lot of people say, oh, I've got to do branding. No, you don't. If, unless you're a $100 million, $200 million company, you don't need to do branding. You need to be marketing. Marketing is opening that relationship, communicating, building that know, like, and trust. And um, so we shouldn't compare ourselves to these companies like Apple. Apple's in a different league. They've been around for years. They've created this brand. And so people have associated this uh, character or this personality with the brand. And so they don't have to market about 
the quality of the products or the you know innovation or things like that that already already exists with the brand but people forget that they've been doing that for quite some time hmm. so um rarely do i see a product I've, I've ever seen a product that just sells itself you still need to understand okay what problem is it solving for me especially if you want people to pay you money for that particular product yes, as well absolutely yeah. Although just looking Absolutely. at Apple, before we go down a complete rabbit hole here, um, like Apple, Apple are very good with their simplistic messaging and it's all around that kind of emotional buy-in. Um, and I think that was always one of the things that I did admire about Steve Jobs was his ability not to sort of sell the products that he was selling on their technical merit, but on their emotional merit as to you know, right. sort of why somebody would want that particular product and what it's going to do to change their life right. or people's perception of them. Well, what's interesting is one of the things that Don talks about and you know, Donald Miller talks about in building a story brand is this notion of the aspirational identity. So regardless of whether we're talking about us in a personal uh, context or in a business context, we all have this aspirational identity. We're trying to become better, mm -hmm. become something. And so what Apple has done is really tapped into this um, emotional connection. Uh, if you remember. Uh, years ago, one of the campaigns was had, it never showed any technology, um, and it just said "think different." Okay, so this was, and, and some of the other uh, ads that you've seen recently are really um, presenting the idea that you know you can be more creative, you can do things that are that are creative. There's been some great, um, you can look them up on YouTube. Some great commercials done with iPad. Uh, there's one where um, I forget the name of it, but where Robin Williams actually is narrating the YouTube. Just search Apple ad um, uh, Robin Williams on YouTube and you'll find it. And it's a very emotional commercial, but they're they are um, they're playing to that aspirational identity to be creative, to be different, to think different. Mm -hmm. and um, and so you can weave that into the marketing because, you think about it, even if you're in a business context, that CIO or that director of operations or that, you know, even that CEO, they have an aspirational identity. And if you can have your product or service help them on that journey to achieve that aspirational identity, they're going to resonate with it. Absolutely. Well, I think we've established that we can talk about this for hours <laughs> but i think that's a great place to uh, to end this particular podcast interview so what is the uh, well rather do you have any kind of like parting words of wisdom or anything that you want to uh, to share before we uh, wrap this up i would just my my most um strongest recommendation is keep it simple clarity is your is your best friend clever it, in marketing, if you're clever, you will lose and make sure that you come up with your one liner that is the problem you solve, the solution you, or, you know, for your customer's problem, the solution you've created and what the result they get. And if you have that concise and uh, tested out and if you're, you're running an organization, you need to get everybody. To understand that think about it what if everybody in the company even the receptionist said oh what do you do and instead of saying i'm a i'm a receptionist said oh i work at so and so and then said the one-liner that person they just met might at the grocery store might say oh wow that's interesting now <laughs> they could actually sell something for you or at least connect you with connect that person with somebody so those would be the things that i'd focus on great parting words of wisdom um, especially especially about the the receptionist side of things because uh again like banging on about the smaller uh businesses it's like if you uh, run or you're part of a small business it doesn't matter who you are in the company you are responsible for sales because yes. if the company is not making sales then you're going to be out of a job so it is worth being brought into the problems that the company is solving and being part of the whole journey um brilliant so thank you so much uh, and if anybody wants to get in touch with you following this podcast what is the best way to for them to do that they can uh, go to my website which is clarifiedmarketing.com 
Brilliant. And I will share, uh, I've got various links to share in the show notes for this particular episode as well. So lots of ways that you can communicate and keep in touch with Russ via social media. Um, Also go to his website. I really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast interview. Again, Russ, thank you so much for being part of this. That's been great. Great. Great questions. And I loved loved the conversation. And like you said, I think we could just keep going for hours, but (laughs) I, I know it's late where you are. Yes. Well, yes. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, I hopefully, hopefully we'll speak to you soon then. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. When you're working on exciting projects in tech or trying to change the world, it's hard to focus on marketing and it might not seem like a big priority for you right now. Talking about what you're working on and the driving force behind why you're doing it will help you raise your profile in your industry and keep your audience up to date and interested. My goal for this podcast is to share the amazing things that businesses and individuals are working on that will shape the world of tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform and share it with the others that you think would benefit. If you liked it loads, then feel free to leave me a review. All the show notes and any links mentioned in today's episode will be available on my website. That's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Have now. Bye.